Amen, amen. Well, my heart is bursting with the presence of God. And I counted a rich, rich privilege to have been in the company of God's people today and to uh, encourage one another to good works and love and to praise our great God together. It has been a rich, rich privilege. And to thank our great God for who he is. When I think about him and I think about all the great things he has done and juxtaposed to how many times I personally have tried to mess things up, but God has been gracious over and over and over again. His grace never, ever ceases and continues on. And uh, we need to praise him and we need to lift up his name. I was saying to Pastor Steve, we had uh, just a rich, rich time in the first service. And I said to Pastor Steve, you know, I... I, I want to harness what we had in the first service and, and jealously guard it and steal it into the second service. And, and, uh, and God himself uh, took care of that. It's like the um, Mount of Transfiguration, you know, when he said, Lord, please, we don't want to leave this place. Just, just hang out with us some more. And, and he has. And so I, I can't thank you enough uh, for your contribution into my life and and, uh, and how we together, we together lift up the name of our God and praise him. And I believe our God was singing over us today. And that's what he does, you know. He sings over his people. He loves you and, um, and, uh, and gives himself to you graciously over and over again, lavishing his love upon you. Father, we just want to tell you we love you. We thank you that you are here among us. We thank you the rich privilege it is for we people, your people, to come before you and to remind each other of your glory and greatness. Lord, sometimes we let the weak uh, days that we've been through just weigh us down and, and uh, weaken our view of you. And oh God, I thank you for a morning like this morning where your glory has been presented and has been proclaimed and has been sung and has been seen with our eyes and felt in our hearts and demonstrated before us. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. And now, Father, you have a word for us from, from your word. You have a desire in your heart that matters to you that, that we, your people, we, your disciples, uh, follow along after you and, and uh, allow the Spirit of God to shape us and reshape us and graciously pour into us and make us, Lord, complete in Christ. Oh, God, perfect us. Make us what you want us to be. Make our hearts um, inclined to be uh, co um, cooperative with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Uh, Lord, um, Pastor Kelvin has already prayed that, that our lives today would be open before you and, 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 and um, uh, acknowledge who you are and express fully our identity in Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would uh, drink deeply from this teaching today as you pour into us a picture of our identity in Christ. For I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we have been on a great journey and continue to be on this journey of the disciple look. What's the disciple? What is, who is a disciple? And 
this is so, so important, this teaching of disciple, and I think you agree with me. And we've looked at uh, four different uh, identificational markers of the disciple. The disciple is a believer who has been baptized, and we got to see that witness before our very eyes again this morning, and who makes disciples. And by the way, these are Jesus' own words that, that we put before you. This is not a value system that Calvary Baptist Church invented. It, it's, not, um, it's not something that I came up with. These are the very words of Jesus who is telling us, uh, revealing to us what a disciple is, and our identification and what marks us as truly disciples. This is something to, to take into your life with seriousness because uh, this is, uh, if, if we're left to wonder at all, this clarifies it for us. Jesus will not tell you anything differently when he sees you someday standing before him in glory. This is who I came to die for and to make him disciples. Disciples, one who's been baptized and makes disciples. Have you and are you? These are the questions, not just to see words on a piece of paper or on a screen, but, but have I embraced this with everything in my heart and in my life? And, and Jesus doesn't teach this as a smorgasbord, to pick and choose what you like. I, I like that discipleship identity, but I'm not really going to go for that one. No, it's a total package deal. The disciple is... And then he describes in various ways what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who gives up everything for Jesus. And the significant text for that was Luke 14, And my question is, have you? Are you? Will you? A disciple is a person who chooses Christ and his mission over the fear of people and the love of family, even if it means dying. Have you? Are you? By the way, this all describes who we are becoming as well. Jesus is making disciples. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives and renovates us into this identity. You are not fully this the day you come to know Christ. You are saved to be this and Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit in your life, is making you into this as you cooperate with his spirit and the work of his spirit in your life. A disciple is a person who has been freed from the slavery to sin and keeps living in Christ's teaching and by obeying God's word is changed to think and act like Christ. Now, I asked the question in, the, in the, the last one, the fourth one, are you freed from the slavery to sin? And are you keeping yourself in the, in the truth of Jesus Christ? These are the identification markers of a true disciple, a genuine disciple to this point. But this morning I want to take you on to the journey of another identification marker. We're all familiar, I'm sure, with outward religious symbols usually depicted by some sort of costuming, depending on how you were brought up and where you were brought up. I, I grew up, and those who are my age, or a little bit older, a little bit younger, will be conscious of the fact, I grew up in the Jesus freak days. We have any freaks out there? Any Jesus freaks out there? Come on. You know you're out there, Dave Pepiot. Yeah, you know you're out there. Thank you, sir. And, and I see all my uh, colleagues at my age, and you know all about the Jesus freak days, you know, when, uh, when we started to wear our, our, um, 
our uh, um, ripped off jeans and our, not, not ripped off as in stolen, but ripped as in, <laughs> as in frayed, frayed around the bottom and all that stuff. And we had our tie-dye t-shirts and we had our long hair down to our shoulders. And uh, our parents and the generation ahead of us were thinking, these kids are going to hell in a handbasket. Look at them. Look at the way they look. They don't look like Christians at all. We found out that it was possible to be frumpy and be a Christian at the same time. Didn't we? Come on, colleagues. Come on, my age group. Let's talk about this Jesus freak days. You remember that? And they thought we'd never turn out to be anything of any use to God. And now they sit in great horror because that generation is still around for the most part. And they can't believe that we're in leadership. Christian leadership. <laughs> It's like, I can't believe that happened. So I have a word to all of you as parents out there who are wondering about your teenage kids and what they're doing and what they're looking like and all that kind of stuff. Will they ever grow up to champion the name of Christ? I'm here to tell you testimonially, yes, they can and yes, they will. Encourage them, cheer for them, believe in them, instill in their hearts a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ because the outside, while it matters, is really not the key marker an identification as a Christian. And so Jesus takes us to an identification marker that is key in John chapter 13. And it's not about costuming. It's not about a big cross around your neck. It's not whether you have long hair or short hair, a great testimony written out that's the greatest one that's ever been said in church or not, or one that's very simple. I was a sinner dead in my sins and trespasses and I have been saved by the living Christ and now I see I was blind I couldn't hear but now I see Jesus gives us this critical marker in fact Jesus ordered it as one of his parting commands just before his passion it was during his last extended sermon. We call it the farewell discourse, actually. And it's an extended time when he was in the upper room with his disciples. And you know most of the various teachings when he was in that upper room. But you also know that as his final sermon, this was a huge burden on his heart. And he said to the uh, disciples at that time, because he was about to leave, God incarnate was about to leave this world. In a blaze of his glorious love. And he was setting before them the enduring look of a true, genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. And he called it a new command. A new command in verse 34, he says, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The enduring mark that he is and that you are is this new command. That Jesus was and is, he was truly here and is among us and continues to be among us is demonstrated by this marker in our lives. 
Now, he didn't drop this command just simply out of nowhere. It comes out of a context. A moment that he had with his disciples that was very significant. In that upper room, at the very beginning of chapter 13 of John, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And that context was just before his crucifixion and all that was going to go on. At the closing time of his years with these men. And in that very room, that very night, one of their friends, one who had been with them, one who had been close, is plotting to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his buddies who he had been with for three years. And Jesus says to his disciples literally, on the basis of what I have, you have just lived out with me and are about to experience, I give you a new command. And here's the principal point that's just been illustrated and required of the disciples. It's a new commandment, by the way, a new command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't present it to the guys and say, listen, I know this is a high bar mark, and I know that for the most of you, you will struggle and probably not reach that, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just kind of trying. No, Jesus gives it as a command. A new command I give you that you will love one another as I have loved you, so love one another. And this will be how everyone else knows that you are one of mine, if you love one another. Now, we should be asking the question, what's so new about this? Jesus has been talking about this for a long time. In fact, at the be from the beginning of the Bible, isn't that really the value system of God's people? Hasn't it always been about loving one another? In fact, could we turn back to Leviticus and find out that right there in the, in the law, it said that you are to love your neighbor as yourself? So what's so new about this? Well, I want to point out for you this morning, there are three new things. New treasures as well as old for a New Testament era. A New Testament people. And the first that I see here is a new measure. You may have looked at this and said, this sounds the same as we've heard about loving one another before. I, I don't get the difference between those. Wait a minute, did you notice he says, when he, when he talked about the, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now he takes a different measurement and he says, I want you to, I'm, I'm moving from neighbor to brother and sister now. I'm moving from those outside who I want you to love as yourself. I'm now moving to the body of Christ. I want you to love each other as much as I loved you. A, a whole quantum leap difference. Loving people as we love ourselves, natural 
uh, unintentional kind of love. That's not this kind of love. This is a new upgrade. As I have loved you. Now maybe we don't really understand the point of the foot washing the way we ought to. Maybe that's our struggle. And before you rush out to grab a water basin, it really doesn't carry straight over into our culture. Let's understand what this was. Foot washing was a common act. That now Jesus takes to an illustration of, of almost um, an unthinkable level. Foot washing in the ancient Middle East, ancient Near East, was, was a, a necessary act, activity. Walking around sandals and dusty roads coming into homes, and it was simply an act of, of hospitality, but an act of service. And not just anybody washed feet. Servants washed people's feet. It was a lowly, menial task. The homeowner didn't wash the feet. A household servant washed the feet of the guests that would come to the home. And that's why they were all sitting around, disciples doing nothing. There was no servant. And so Jesus grabs a basin and a towel and begins to wash their feet. Let's pick it up. It was just before the Passover feast, verse 1. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave his, this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. Now, he's... Don't miss this. Do, do not miss this. This is critical. The Lord of glory. The creator God. The one we've just been singing about. All creatures of our God and King. That God. Is in the room. And knows who he is. He knows he's the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. The greatest of all in the universe. He's starting to pick up the picture of the contrast here. Now chooses the most humbling of all social activities to wash the feet of his disciples. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Why, why did Peter say that? I mean, he had a, a significantly growing understanding of who Jesus was. And even with his understanding, which is not yet 
our understanding even. He says, Lord, no, no, you can't do this. It's not right for you to do this. It's too humbling. The humility is too great. Jesus took this common act that was freighted with cultural meaning and gave it an almost absurd level of symbolism. The choice to voluntarily take the very lowest place in the meeting. To love up those around him. This is what love does, gentlemen and ladies. The extreme was yet to roll out, of course. But love is a decision to act in radical ways. If we can in some way understand this, this love is not sentimental emotion toward each other. And it's not this sort of naturally love yourself thing. It is a decision to act in radical ways for the sake of a brother or sister. That's the mark of a disciple. Perhaps one of the letters to a church will help us to understand something of the nature of this kind of love and perhaps how, fall, how far short we fall of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know the text, that love text. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, etc., etc. One writer made the recommendation so we could understand and personify this to put Jesus' name there. Because Jesus is love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Keep in mind, we're disciples of Jesus. We're, we're growing up to be like Christ. Jesus does not boast. He's not, Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus' love does not delight. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Are you game to take this a step further? The first service really struggled with this one. What about putting your name in there? Rick is patient. Rick is kind. And so I asked them, and I'm going to ask you, let's read this text together the way we do when we have responsive reading together. And I want you to put your name in there. And I want you to call it out loud with gusto as we read this together. And the only way this is going to work is if we practice it one time. So at the count of three, I want you all to shout your name. Okay? Your first name. That's it. Jesus knows who you are. One, two, three. Rick. Excellent. 
So we're capable of doing this. So what we're going to do is read this because we need to hear who we're supposed to be. And I'd like for the evil one as well to hear who we are. And so sometimes it's necessary to vocalize it, to speak out loud. He can't read your thoughts. He can't hear what you say. So join with me. And since I'm microphoned and augmented and whatever that word I need, turn me down and let's hear this read together. All right? One, two, three. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. One, two, three. Rick is, Rick is kind. Rick does not envy. Rick does not boast. Come on louder. Rick is not proud. Rick is not rude. Rick is not self-seeking. Rick is not easily angered. Rick keeps no record of wrongs. Rick does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Rick always protects. Rick always trusts. Rick always hopes. Rick always perseveres. Rick never fails. I wonder if you, you, could, you can, yeah, okay, let's go back up now. Okay, there we go. There's great power up there. I wonder if it faded away because we had trouble saying what isn't true of ourselves. This personifies or, or illustrates or describes our Lord and Savior. Now, that's the new measure. But as we have discovered personally this morning, we're falling way short of this. How will we love like Jesus? Let alone even love people like I love myself. That's why this is the test of the genuine. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't make this happen in your life. This is not going to be natural for everyone. That's why it requires a new power. That's the second new here. You, this is a commandment. Jesus will never command us to do something he's not going to enable us to do. Not ever. So he intends for us to be able to do this. Of course, um, we'll need to be a real disciple, therefore. As I have loved you, have you welcomed Christ's love into your life? Pastor Kelvin prayed this morning that someone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ would this day respond and welcome him into their life. You want to love like Christ loved, you have to have Christ. By the way, the coming of the new covenant, transforming hearts and minds, alone will empower the real to live this command. That was prophesied and promised way back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their 
sins no more. As these disciples were sitting around listening to Jesus give them a command that they now had to love like he loved, they realized that in order for them to do that, something dramatic would have to change in their lives. And as they were paying attention to the Old Testament scriptures, they would be coming to the recognition that there was a new time coming, a New Testament era coming, a time when God would write this into their hearts, when God himself would move into their lives and transform them and reshape them. The reason many struggle to know what it means to offer a concrete experience of what it means to be loved is because they are uncertain of the experience of what it means to be saved. See, what it means to be saved is what it means to be loved. Jesus said, you are about to witness the, the fullness of this. You don't understand now exactly, but you will understand. You will understand when you have witnessed with your own eyes the fullness of the extent of my love that will boggle your mind. And if we stop and think about it for just a minute, that God would kill his son to bring undesirables like us into his family. That's it. That's the love. Not because we first loved him, but because he loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. This is love. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you. And by salvation, each of us, you and me, have become billionaires, lavish love billionaires. Christ who loves me, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and died for me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. This we have to understand. This we have to contemplate. This we have to allow to saturate our lives all of the time. We have to think about how much God loves us. We are disciples that are so rich in love because Christ's love has invaded our lives that we can benefit others with the abundance of his lavish love. You will get it, he says to the disciples. You will get it someday. You will understand this. And so Jesus said to Peter in verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part in me with me. And Peter then says, oh Lord... Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me, God. Those who feel shortchanged and unable to love one another must fight to maintain their self-promotion. It's because you do not understand the identity you have in Christ. Jesus knew who he was. And no menial act of service could change that he was the king of glory. And so it is with us. As they all stood around watching their dirty feet, no one wanted to take the place of service. 
and love each other. And let me tell you, when you fail to love one another, you hand Christ over to his enemies. Judas, on that moment and that day, the one who is as close to the action and reality of the divine as you can get. That's the danger, brothers and sisters, of flirting with self-made faith that leads us to self-made dreams. Self-made faith is that, faith is that kind of faith that says, I will believe in what I want to believe and I will trust in what I want to trust in because I have certain dreams that I want to realize. And so he had made Jesus into something he hoped he was, but he never presented himself as. And when Jesus proved to be different, when the storm showed up, when the tough times came, when it wasn't the way Judas dreamed it would be, he betrayed him. Judas had shown signs of this, always turning into the night, walking away from the, the day. The night is what is the place that hates the things of God. Be careful. Judas, by his self-made faith in his self-made dreams, became absorbed by the darkness, as C.S. Lewis puts it. And one writer says this, every single day of our lives as believers is judgment day. Every single day. Will you choose to serve and love Christ in whatever the circumstances you find yourself? Or will you be tempted to turn into the night of disappointment and one day wake up and find you're absorbed by the darkness and you can't find your way back. Jesus said to those who are really mine, I give a new power through the Holy Spirit of God to love each other as I have loved you. Well, there's a third, a new purpose. In this way, all men will know me. This love defines who you are and who you, who the, and the one you belong to, who he is. Let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus according to the people who know you best? The people in your family, the people at your workplace. Who do, when they look at you, do they, who do they see? Who, who would they say Jesus is? Would they say he's kind and patient and not rude and doesn't keep a record of wrongs? Is that the picture that you illustrate for them by your love for one another? And by the way, Jesus, I think, gave the world the right to judge us on this. He said, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. You know, we live in a context where we're like, don't judge me. You have no right to judge me and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you that the Lord Jesus Christ gave lost people every right to judge you on this. I thought... You serve the Prince of Peace. I thought God is love. I, I thought you loved your brothers and sisters. I thought that's what Christianity was. And I don't see it in your life. They have every right to take you to task. Every right. Jesus said, I have this new purpose. 
that I want lost people to be so struck by this and saved people to be so beloved by it that people will look at you and say, you must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's no other explanation for your life. You can pretend to be a Christian for a week or once a week or for an hour once a week, but you won't be able to fake this kind of love. This is not only how others will know you are the real thing. This is how you will know you're the real thing. When you have some time, take a look at 1 John 3, 16 to 24. To make this work in our lives, and with this I'll conclude, you have to sacrifice your instinct to love sameness more than the saint. You know, as I was preparing this, there's never, I, I think there's never a time I prepare a sermon to give to you that I'm not thinking, oh, wow, I got some work to do. You know, the Spirit of God puts you in a full Nelson and says, you are the man. I realize that, um, you know, as I'm thinking, no, I, love, I love my church, I love brothers, sisters. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm immune to all this stuff. Then I realized, wait a second. Who is it that I really love? And who is it that I gravitate to? I gravitate to people who think just like me, who act just like me, who love the Bruins, who, 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 who in particular interpret the Bible exactly the way I do. And I realized one of the hardest things in my life, one of the real challenge places in my life, and one of the places that God was poking me over was this. I, I have this tendency when somebody doesn't believe the Bible the same way I believe it is to argue with them until I fall over, foam at the mouth and fall over backwards. And then gradually stop liking them and write them out of my life. That's where Jesus pointed at me and said, you're not loving your brothers like I love the church. And so I suspect that we have something in our lives like that. They aren't the same. They aren't like me. They don't like the same things I like, don't have the same values, whatever. And by the way, I'm talking about genuine saved people, the genuine church of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. You've got to love each other just like I loved you. It shows divine unity between the Father and the Son. So we conclude with this. A disciple is a person who loves like Christ loves, loving one's brother more while loving one's neighbor no less. You think about that. I'm going to call, um, I'm going to pray, for, and, then, and then I want to do something with you as we close that will at least give evidence to what we're talking about here. Our Father and our God, I pray now that you will drive this deeply into our hearts that you will wash us fully with your love. You have, Lord. And I pray that we would take the lavish love of Jesus Christ and let it flow over into the lives of all brothers and sisters in Christ that they might know we are disciples by how we love one another. 
I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want you to sit there, and, and as the, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. As you know, you know that, that generally on a, a weekly basis, we take little notes from this glass bowl here that have been prayer requests of your brothers and sisters about people who they're really burdened about that they really want to come to know the Lord. And we pray about them, and then we put them over in this bowl. Well, you can see that this bowl is empty. And that's because uh, the ushers are coming forward right now. And what we're going to invite you to do as an act of love for your brothers and sisters is we're going to pass out, and you're going to pass out one of these little cards to you with names on them. And I'm going to invite you as an act of love to, to take one of these and for the next month just pray for the names that you're going to get. They are... They are burdens on the hearts of one of your brothers and sisters in this place over the lost people in their lives, whether family or friends. And then this act of praying and showing and demonstrating, you know what, we care for you, we love you. And uh, so come on, guys, come forward and, and start handing these out. Um, I want you to take one of these as, as they're passed out and put them in your Bible. And you pray. You pray for people as they, uh, as they are given to you for the next month. As, as these are being passed out, let me just run through a couple of questions for you to think about in your heart as you, as you uh, conclude. And then Pastor Steve will close this morning for us. Is there evidence in your life of radical, humble service toward one another? Is there, is there some evidence of that? Are you sacrificing yourself just because you really love the people of God? Are you able to set aside your preferred type of people and choose God's people with no strings attached? Think about it. And finally, are you presently willing to love any particular follower of Christ? Is there anyone in your life that you're unwilling to love? Is there any Christian in your life right now that you know of that comes to your mind that you've been unwilling to love? Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is not rude. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love never fails. That's Christ's love that he presented to us.